and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, uh, which means, like many of you, I was uh, having a quiet Sunday, you know, doing the, doing the things around the house when all of a sudden came word that the Washington Commanders had, in fact, extended Pro Bowl defensive tackle Deron Payne to a four-year, $90 million contract, $60 million guaranteed. An interesting deal on numerous levels, particularly the timing of it, which I'll discuss here in a moment. And with our one of our two guests today, former Washington salary cap analyst J.I. Halsell, who also was an agent uh, at points in his career. He consults teams and others when it comes to contracts. Nobody knows uh, the CBA better, which is why we reached out to J.I. to discuss this deal. What did he think of it just on the broad terms for Washington and Deron Payne? How did this get done with all the concerns over Dan Snyder's situation? Uh, I asked him all those questions, including, you know, the escrow deal, which, you know, I've never always admitted uh, accounting, uh, all those things. Not my uh, cup of tea, but uh, J.I. explained to us what went down and uh where the Snyder impact may have come into play. In addition to that, uh, linebacker John Bostic, who of course has been with Washington for the past four seasons, he joined me the other day to discuss the team uh, the last season. We, this was before Deron Payne, uh, the news came down, but we discussed Payne's impact. But also, we uh, the primary gist of the conversation and an article that I wrote for The Athletic is about a $38 million athletic training facility that Bostic is spearheading in his native Florida that is will be a, a tr- athletic training center for pros, for rising athletes like those going to the Combine. But the project in scope is so audacious uh, with the hope to have uh, opportunities for you know, seven basketball courts, 14 volleyball courts, multi-purpose fields for football, soccer, lacrosse, uh, local community help as well. Plus, like all the things that athletes need to train. We'll get to all that, but that's the gist of why we're talking to John Bostic about this. And he's the one spearheading that. All right, now let's just get to some of Payne's con, uh, deal here. I will leave. I'll try to leave some of the contract stuff to when Ji gets on here because I don't want to re- repeat too much. Um, but but you know the terms themselves not not a surprise right these were what we've been discussing here for a while uh, with my reporting on the athletic as well as here on the podcast about expectations for the defensive tackle market to finally get a bump an overdue bump that similar to what happened with the wide receivers last year that 21 million which was the second highest annual average salary of any defensive tackle way behind Aaron Donald, who is the highest paid defender over $30 million, that that would number would jump and that Payne, you know, once towards the end of the year became clear that he was having a monster season, especially with sacks, that he would get in there somewhere. And, and we'll see now, of course, how the rest of the defensive tackle market reacts to this deal. I think it's a timing aspect that surprised me the most. Uh, I Starting at the combine, I had beginning to I'd begun to hear about the two sides talking. Did not seem as if it was particularly notable. 
at that point. Um, and what I was told is over the weekend, things picked up dramatically and obviously a deal got done. It's months before Washington had to get a deal with Payne Don, as uh, we know from our experience with the tag um, teams have until mid July to ha- to have a long term deal done or the player plays on that uh, tag. In this case, that would mean Payne getting about eighteen point nine million, all of which would count as twenty twenty three salary cap. The fact that Washington got this done instead, Payne's cap hit will be around ten million dollars, and they will have therefore more money to play around with in free agency or you know, restructure their own contracts or you know whatever else may be happening so that's what's going on there I I just think that look for me obviously we've talked about this a lot I never thought like it couldn't happen or that you know pain was like ah I don't want to be here it's all about to me you know there's a combination of where we at with Dan Snyder and again we'll talk about with 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 J.I. but also you know, what makes sense? Does it make sense to keep two defensive tackles in a sport where teams typically would prefer paying two ends than two tackles? The unique circumstance here with the four guys means you've got some kind of a decision to make. And and by and large, they've all worked out with the question mark involving Chase Young, who, you know, again, he, you know, played very little last year after the uh, significant knee injury the year before. His production has been pretty light. Rivera has said that he may not, you know, it's not an automatic that they would pick up Young's um, fifth-year option, which will be over $17 million. You think logically they probably will just to keep their options open, which is kind of what they just did, you know, here, uh, which is what kind of what I thought they were doing with Payne um, in terms of, like, using the franchise tag. You have time to see what's going to happen, and maybe it's the new owner that gets this done um, but it got done here. Again, J.I. will help explain why uh, the timing on, on that end. Uh, props to Deron Payne. You know, he had a he had a really impressive year. You know, Ron Rivera said he wanted to get this done. He did. By waiting a year, it cost them more money. By getting it done as early as they did here in this year, they probably saved themselves some money because... You know, now their deal will be used as the template for others, not the other way around. So all that is important. Now what happens, we'll see. I still don't have the impression that Washington will be big spenders in free agency. And again, to be clear, they may sign somebody to like a three-year, $15 million deal, you know, with, you know, that's really more of like a two for 10 kind of situation, right? I'm just saying that in terms of like signing players to huge deals, that to me does not seem as likely, and not even because of Dan Snyder, but also like the the way they have done things here under Rivera. The best year for agency was 2020, where they signed you know a bunch of guys that people really didn't have much thoughts on to these uh to some good value contracts, J.D. McKissick, Logan Thomas uh, among others, and that worked out well. So they can do that without having you know without it being any kind of a negative. Uh, you know, when we talk about them not being big spenders, it doesn't mean it's they automatically should. I'm just saying whenever people say what free agents to get, they always point to the people at the top of the food chain on these free agent lists, and I just wouldn't think that would be the case. Offensive line, cornerback, linebacker, those remain the top uh, needs with quarterback, uh, somebody to compete with or back up Sam Howell in there as well. Uh, you know, 
the key is they wanted to get this pain deal done before the start of free agency just so they had a better feel of what everything kind of was looking like for them in free agency. So, so I was uh, told. Uh, and they did that. And now we'll see. You know, the, you know, they can address these positions that we're talking about without necessarily getting a, a, a big name or a big starter. Uh, at, with the 16th pick along with picks in the second round, the third and the fourth, you know, going two offensive linemen, a, cor- a cornerback, and say a linebacker would address all those needs and possibly even give you some starters right off the bat uh, and set you up longer term because now you do need cheaper contracts the more you sign these other players to extensions. So anyway, kudos to Deron Payne. Should also mention Kalik Hudson re-signed uh, t- as well today. Uh, gives him some more linebacker depth. So that was that also uh, occurred. But the Deron Payne news, obviously huge news, surprising news, out of left field news, but news that's important to where Washington is and where they are going. Now on deck is what happened with Montez Sweat, who's entering the final year of his deal. Chase Young, after that, we will have time to tackle that. But free agency starts on Monday, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to get into. I I did an entire uh, live room on The Athletic the other day, and I had the intention of putting that up on here. But a lot of it was about the pain situation, so it's not going to do that at this point. Needless to say, though, I appreciate everybody who did show up. We'll have more uh, down the line. And, of course, you can always hit me up on Twitter at Ben, ben Standig or email me, bstandig at theathletic.com. But right now, let's get to my conversation with J.I. Halzel. We talked after the Duran Payne uh, signing to uh, get here. Or he hasn't signed it yet, but after the Duran Payne agreement. So you can check. Uh, I want you guys to hear what he has to say. And then we'll get to my conversation with John Bostic here on the Standard Room Only podcast. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, look, when it comes to these uh, big money deals, I tell you guys all the time, I can I could barely balance my checkbook when people needed, when people did such things. So clearly, <laughs> if we're going to talk millions of dollars of NFL salaries, with fancy contracts, we need somebody who understands all this. Nobody better than our guest here, J.I. Halsell, former salary cap analyst for uh, Washington. Uh, he's done a lot of, it, of work in the industry, and he's one of the people that everybody kind of goes to. We're going to do that here. J.I., thank you so much for jumping on. I had no idea I would I would be needing your assistance on this Sunday, but thanks for uh, picking up the call. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to jump on. So, uh, you know, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty surprised on a lot of fronts here. I'm not surprised about the terms, though I want to ask you about that as well, because we've been talking a lot here about the defensive tackle market seemed likely to get a pretty big boost, and the you know, going over $21 million annually seemed reasonable for pain. That said, the timing of this is where I wanted to start. It's before free agency, which I get. I really, though, was... Not sure because of the whole Dan Snyder ownership situation that this thing could get done until perhaps a new owner came into play. Does that aspect of any of this uh, surprise you? 
not in terms of kind of the macro view of the deal, right? In terms of, okay, we can agree to the length of the deal. We can agree to the total value of the deal. We can even agree to the total guarantee. Where I, where you would see anything ownership related affecting the deal really comes into play when you think about the signing bonus. So hypothetically, because we don't know all the details of, of the contract, let's say it has a $25 million signing bonus, right? Well, when I worked for Washington, because we were a cash rich team, we might split that 25 million, you get 12 and a half of it uh, upon execution of the contract and the other 20, 12 and a half um, on December 31st. Well, given the ownership uncertainty around the organization, it will be interesting to see how the cash flows are structured. Are they deferred later into the deal? So using that hypothetical $25 million signing bonus example, you know, is it, I don't know, uh, 10 or uh, 5 million now, uh, 10 million in December on December 31st, and then 10 million on March 31st of 2024. Um, that way pushing kind of kicking the can on the cash outflow until uh, a potential new owner comes on board. So, you know, there's a long way way of saying, you know, there's nothing at a macro level that surprises me about the deal. It's once we get into the details of the deal, where I think we might see some uh, impact of the ownership situation. Um, fair enough. L let me ask you about escrow. This is both for my own education as well as the audience, because we've talked about this a lot. The point that I kept hearing early on that I had repeated often has been that, and I think you explained this a little bit already, but the idea of once a deal is signed with the guaranteed money that comes into play, um, that you've got to put... A, a, a large portion of the of the guaranteed money into escrow. This is how NFL contracts work. Therefore, if Deron Payne signs this deal with the, the amount of guaranteed money that he got, that Dan Snyder would potentially, based on supposed reports of his own cash flow issues, his debt, and then possibly with just not wanting to mess with the situation here, you know, $80 million is not comparing to, or $60 million guaranteed is not compared to $6 billion from a sale, but it's not nothing that this would be a factor, but I saw that you had talked to Kevin Sheehan about this. And so I wanted to get that. Is, is, is that a misread or, or is that just more clarifications required as to what was actually going on there? Yeah, I think it's just, you know, everyone hears, well, a couple of things, unless you really, really follow kind of the contract part of this business, you may or may not know about the funding rule, right? Which is the escrow that you're talking about. Um, and what even beyond that, we don't always talk about the mechanics of the funding rule and the escrow and when it needs to be put in. Um, the long and short of it is that there's a snapshot date, January 31st of every year in which the league takes a look at what money that is fully guaranteed that a, a club cannot get out of an obligation that they cannot get out of by March 31st of that year. So we're obviously beyond the January 31st snapshot date here in 2023. So there is no funding obligation here in 2023. With the Duran Payne contract, um, undoubtedly there is fully guaranteed money in 2024 and there's a good chance that there's fully guaranteed money in 2025. When that January 31st, 
2024 date rolls around, the NFL will look at the Deron Payne contract and see how much money um, is due to him that the Washington Commanders cannot get out of by March 31st. So hypothetically, let's just say it's, you know, he got 20 million fully guaranteed here in 2023, and there's another 40 million uh, truly guaranteed that Washington cannot get out of by March 31st of of 2024 in that scenario that 40 million dollars would have to go into the escrow account and have would have to be paid into that escrow account by march 31st of 2024 therefore there's a we've got a little over a year before that money needs to go be put into the league's escrow account and by then many hope that there's new ownership right okay all right so that part was the, the the devil in the detail that was not made clear despite no matter how many people I talked to. And this is why it's my mistake for not just going to you first and sk- and uh, bypassing everybody else. Um, okay, all that said, it does sound like, though, that on some level, the basics, depending, again, how the deal is funded, still factors into Snyder's situation. That, like you're saying, e- either potentially the cash uh, structure is pl- placed so that it really isn't he's the one that has to deal with a lot of this. It would be whoever's the new owner when that was ultimately sort of the point of all of this is to yep. what degree yep. was he willing to, or open to dealing with this now versus pushing mm-hmm. it back Um, for Ron Rivera's purposes. Hey, you know what? We got, we got the deal done. We're keeping pain here again. We don't know the exact details, but just based on what you see, what do you make of this deal right now? Deron Payne, all the numbers we have is the second highest paid defensive tackle on average in the league behind Aaron Donald he's going to get past here in a, in the next, whenever Chris Jones signs a deal and maybe some others, but what do you make of Deron Payne's situation? Uh, the, the deal that we know of right now. Yeah. The, the first thing, my first uh, kind of thought was it's amazing how, you know, we've kind of gone 180 on Deron Payne's situation because, you know, if we were to talk about Deron Payne last summer, it was, you know, are they going to trade him? You know, is he even is this his final season in Washington? Um, and then as the season progressed and he was playing really well, it was well now he's gonna probably get tagged to now, you know, he, he's he's locked in for the next, you know, couple of years at least, right? right? Um, and so it's really come a long way in terms of the perception as to whether or not he was gonna be here or not, um, to the tune of now being the second highest paid interior defensive lineman in football. Um in terms of the value of the deal, you know, as you mentioned earlier, nothing surprising there. Um, I mean, we've seen it at a lot of position groups where, um, you know, the wide receiver one was the market that broke out last year where you've got number two receivers making 18 to $20 million per year. So to see, you know, the defensive tackle market, and as you alluded to, you know, a new Chris Jones deal as an example, this D tackle market is just going to continue to explode as well. So, um you know, I th- in terms of the timing of the deal, you know, here we are a couple of days ahead of the start of the new league year and free agency. Um, I think, you know, his agent, his team, his, his team around him, uh, they gauged what his market value was at the combine and at the senior bowl. And so they probably had a good sense for what the external market would pay him and how that compared to what Washington was willing to pay him. And um, all that added up to, you know, he's probably comfortable here in Washington and comfortable in the scheme and all those pieces. So uh, the deal was good enough for him to sign and forego free agency. Um, for sure. Now it's, I feel like it's an obligation of mine to say, okay, it's probably good timing for them because 
again, these other deals are going to get signed, and his may I, I won't say it's going to look like a bargain in a month, but right, other other agents are not going to use this deal as a, as the as a marker, yeah. and mm-hmm. then say, okay, well, he got this, ergo, we want that, and go from there. But even if he gets passed, whatever they they got the deal done. Yeah, but they also got it done for a number that surely would have been let more than if they had done this a year ago. And sure. they didn't do this a year ago. They didn't even, as far as I understand, even really offer a, a pain side a, a contract. Yeah. For reasons that seemed somewhat reasonable in that they've already given Jonathan Allen a contract. Typically mm-hmm. teams don't pay two defensive tackles when you yeah. have these other linemen there. And we know about Montez Sweat and Chase Young do for deals. So it felt like they were giving themselves an option to wait, see what happens, et cetera. Well, now that happened, yeah. was that a... I don't know if you can say it was a right or a wrong thing to wait, but do, do you think that there's some lack of uh, uh, vision here in not having done this last year? Or do you think, look, sometimes it just, you know, you roll snake eyes to a degree and good for them. Payne had a great year, but that's what meant. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, think about where we were with the roster and cap management last year, you had a, veteran quarterback contract on your books right you had with the Carson Wentz deal right right and so that is a consideration you have you know yeah you've invested already in Jonathan Allen you know that you're going to have to invest in Montez Sweat potentially at some point so you know you're a little up against it when trying to commit potentially to a Deron Payne and then he has the breakout year um and you know in the back of your mind, well, okay, we're not ready to commit to you just yet, but if you if you do it on the field here in 2023, then, uh, you know, we can tag you um, as they did, um, or we can start to think about a contract extension uh, in the 2023 offseason. So it's a long-winded way of saying that, yeah, it would have been cheaper to do the deal a year ago, but your cap environment was different because you had – you know, a veteran quarterback contract, as an example, on the roster. Now you've got a rookie con- a rookie contract quarterback, you know, as your QB1. It changes the, d- the dynamic. You know, I always tell people all the time that, you know, people say, oh, we're up against the cap. We can't afford this guy. We can't afford that guy. Clubs can always manipulate the cap and the accounting of the cap so that you can sign who you want to sign. So, you know, it, it it's not impossible to think that, hey, could Washington down the road have Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and Chase Young, if he can get going again, all on second contracts? Yes, yeah, possible. Just because the way the cap has continued to increase, if Sam Howell works out as your quarterback on a rookie contract, you can always make it work. And even if he doesn't, you can always make it work by just restructuring deals and, uh, again, with the increase in the cap. So, um, you know, it's a little bit of hogwash to say that we can't pay two guys at the same position a bunch of money right right for sure and one thing that always happens in these conversations is that when you s- start off a conversation with nuanced points the nuanced points eventually get uh chopped down to a headline or a talking point and all of a sudden the whole deal comes under play uh, comes has a different meaning as an example it's never nobody's ever said at least i haven't that like you said they could not afford to extend all four of these defensive linemen it's a question for me of an asset allocation aspect. Is it wise to right. do that? Is it wise to put all your money there? I mean, you got to spend it 
forget just the quarterback. What about, you know, all the other spots on the, on the team? So I'm curious as somebody who's been a salary cap analyst, and I know that why well, I don't know, I guess, how much would you like somebody in your spot, like Rob Rogers perhaps mm-hmm. is with Washington say to Rivera, okay, here's the deal. We can do this. We can give Duran Payne this money. And if you win your head to want to say we can keep Chase, you know, sweating young, okay. But just to be clear, like I don't know if I would say that this is the best way of using the the, the resources on essentially one position. Is that something that comes up from the from the seat that you're in and that Rob Rogers uh, is in? I think there's a balancing act of yeah, making sure that you're allocating, you know, your cap dollars appropriately, but also there's the player development aspect of this in that. You know, you want to you, you want to reward your guys who you've drafted, who you've developed. You know, it's a it's in good signals to the locker room that we, we reward the guys that are homegrown. But also from a player development standpoint, standpoint, if we're going to if we're going to invest a bunch of cap assets into the D line, it's going to be incumbent upon us to develop cheap talent at other positions. So to, to offset all of the money that we've got into the defensive line. So, you know, it doesn't mean you can't invest a bunch of cap dollars into a particular position group. It just means that you need to uh, effectively find financially efficient labor (laughs) at other position groups. Um, And again, having a quarterback on a rookie contract is is super helpful. Um, But again, you're going to have to go find late round picks. You're going to have to go find college free agents who can be contributors because those guys have cheap contracts. Yeah, no, we'll see. Sam Howell, if it works out this year, they would still have him for two more years um, on his current contract, which is you know relatively no money for a quarterback. So that could be huge, and that is the risk they're taking, um, even as they're taking it at a point where Rivera probably needs to have a winning record to stay, depending on the ownership deal. So uh, a lot, a lot in play uh, there. I guess just lastly, as a guy who pays attention to this stuff, when you're watching the ownership deal, you know. It, Feels like there could be a potential a sale here in the coming weeks. Some people think it could be longer. Some people still remain skeptical, but I think there's more sense that it's going to happen than it won't. Um, what do you? I guess kind of what do you make of this whole situation in general from both the well? I'll just start from the football perspective. What do you make of it for agency starting tomorrow? Like we see this deal, does this necessarily suggest they can spend all kinds of money in free agency, or is this more maybe more of a as you're looking at the whole deal, like well. Okay, they they took care of pain, but I you know we'll see about the rest of it. Yeah, I think from a a, a roster building perspective, I think you still you you you've done your play your uh, pro scouting evaluations of free agents. You've talked with Rob Rogers on kind of what are the cap implications. Uh, maybe your cash budget has a little bit of a different kind of strategy than years past because of the uncertainty around. Uh, the ownership situation, but as I mentioned earlier with the Deron Payne contract, I mean, you still resign your guys, you still go seek out free agents, giving your free agency strategy. Uh, and, you know, the, the goal is just to get good players in the building and um, you structure it maybe in a little bit of a way where, again, like the Deron Payne scenario, maybe some of that money is deferred so that the new owners having to uh, uh, pay for that a little bit. But um, from a pure football standpoint, you still got to go build a roster. Um, in terms of the overall ownership uncertainty and, you know, maybe how does that impact free agents as they take into consideration possibly coming to Washington? Um, I mean, you know, Washington's always kind of had 
a little bit of a gray cloud over it, you know, for a long time, given just, uh, you know, the constant turnover and the, you know, what is the work culture like, so on and so forth. And um, there were days where Washington was getting used so that players could go get bigger contracts elsewhere in free agency. So it's not, un, you know, it's not uncharted waters for players to be skeptical of coming to Washington. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, players want to make money. And if if that makes the if Washington's the best offer, uh, players are going to are going to come there. Making money is always a, a good uh, a good deal. Um, J.I., I appreciate so much. I will just ask you one last thing, because I may not talk to you again on here before there's a potential sale here on uh, the owners meeting is later this month. Maybe then, maybe not. As somebody who worked for the organization. Are you surprised on stunned or whatever that we're here? Um, I don't know if stunned is the right word. It, it's, it, it is, it is somewhat amazing though, that we are really, you know, tangibly talking about uh, a change in ownership. And, um, as a guy who grew up in the DC area, like, you know, I have a vested interest in wanting to see the, the organization, the team do well, right. Aside from the fact that I worked for them, um, for a couple of seasons, um, I do think an ownership change makes sense for the organization. I think it makes sense for the fan base. You know, Dan's going to make a ton of money by selling the team. Um, it's just, quite honestly, I think a lot of us never thought that this was, we would even be where we are today and even this being a possibility. So, um, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, but, um you know, if it, if it goes through, I, I can see it being a win-win for everyone involved. All right. Well, it's always a win when we get to talk to you, uh, especially about this stuff that I, you know, goes over the heads of most of us. Uh, we'll see what the details are ultimately, but I appreciate you walking us through what has happened already. Uh, Jay Halsell, you are uh, you are the man. Thanks so much. Man, thanks for having me on, man. All right. Uh, special guest here with us on the podcast, linebacker, for the Washington Commanders. Oh, he's a free agent right now. Uh, John Bostic is joining us, uh, taking time away from his offseason to talk both about his, uh, you know, about, about what's going on with the Commanders, but also a, an exciting new project that he's got going on in his state of Florida to help the next generation of athletes. John, uh, appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You, uh, so you're, you're, you're it's the offseason. And you've apparently have nothing better to do than talk to me. Clearly, something is wrong in your in your world. What what's going on? What what have you been up to since um since the season ended? How much is it, are you in sort of just pure rehab you know mode? Get your body right and and then start ramping up at some point here. Um, you know, since I've been back home, you know, obviously it's glad to be back. I'm glad to be back home. You know, in in the heat down here. You know, we're we're mid eight. <laughs> you know, close to the 90s right now. Um, you know, me being a Florida boy, I, I love that type of, you know, heat down here. Um, but it's, it's been good. You know, I've been home, uh, you know, already back to, you know, grinding, uh, especially, uh, you know, off the field, you know, different things as well. Um, as we spoke, you know, earlier, uh, you know, with this facility, it's, it's been, it's been a big thing. I've been working on this project for, you know, quite some time. We've started the architectural plans already. Uh, you know, we're going to break ground. Uh, late July, you know, and this will be up, you know, sometime uh, next summer. So to tell everybody, I guess, just quickly, I, I mentioned it at the top of the show, but somebody quickly, what, what is this project and how, how did you get inspired 
to do this because a lot of guys are just focused on getting themselves trained, not mm-hmm. setting up something to help everybody get 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 trained. Tell us the inspiration about this and what it is exactly that you're looking to do here. Um, you know, I've been working on this probably for, you know, last two, two and a half years, like, you know, on paper. Um, and, you know, I, the whole plan itself, um, you know, I've been working on probably for about nine and a half years. You know, I've been drawing down, you know, notes. I mean, shoot, I know Chad's probably annoyed with all the questions I, you know, ask him all the time and, you know, his strength staff, um, you know, ask a lot of the, you know, guys in the kitchen, you know, about different things. But, um, you know, there was a reason I was, you know, asking a lot of these questions because I knew what I was building. I knew what I wanted to to achieve. And, you know, really it was just about the location. So, um, you know, find the right location because that's that's when it comes to, to business and, you know, setting up, you know, something new like this, it's all about location. And, you know, so to be able to find a perfect site for something like this, um, you know, was, was huge. And, you know, that's where, uh, you know, the start of it came at, but, um, you know, as, as going all the way back, um, you know, I'm from, you know, South Florida. And so with me being from South Florida and, you know, wanting to help a lot of these kids, uh, I always, you know, like I love giving back. And, you know, being around these kids, training with a lot of these kids in the off season, you know, whether it's middle schools, high schools, allowing them to kind of jump in and, you know, get some work, you know, as well, uh, you know, with my trainer and I, um, there were things that I noticed that, you know, some of these kids were lacking. And, you know, one of the biggest things that, you know, I kind of saw was like, you know, I want to help more of these kids get to college. And you see a lot of these kids slipping through the cracks because, you uh, you know, they don't have the right resources. They don't have the right coaching. They don't have the, the guidance. Um, and so it's like, you know, me taking a lot of these kids under, you know, my wing and, you know, helping, you know, a lot of these kids get to college, you know, in the area, you know, this model just kept growing and growing. It's like, you know, you know, I could have easily came and, you know, done a, a camp, you know, I've been attended camps, you know, for, you know, several teammates and everything, but I've actually never hosted a camp myself, you know, just because going all the way back, um, with my thought process, okay, cool. I can have a camp, you know, I can get a lot of, you know, current teammates, former teammates to come in, you know, we do a bunch of, you know, drills and, you know, have fun with the kids for a day, but it's like, you know, you got 365 days in a year. And, you know, so I've affected that kid's life for one day out of 360, you know, five days, you know, so like, what about the, you know, other 364 days? Am I saying like, you know, I don't care about that, like, or what? And so that's where kind of started putting together something's like, how can I affect these kids' lives for 365 days, you know, out the year and help give them the right resources, you know, the right, you know, guidance to be able to help these kids, you know, get to college and, you know, have a, you know, jump start to life, you know, and it's like, okay, you know, I'm playing sports and, you know, how can I build something? And all of a sudden, like I said, the model just kept growing and growing. And now all of a sudden, you know, we're sitting at, you know, the biggest training facility in, in you know, South Florida and one of the biggest in the country. And, and this whole model, you know, really is the first of this kind in the country and how we're doing it. Um, to explain that, why, why is it the first model? Obviously, you were telling me before that from a, like a professional athlete standpoint, you're going to have, instead of just going to this training facility and that rehab, the goal is to have everything under one roof to make it not just more convenient, but obviously I imagine all the people involved helping to, you know, come up with the, with the sort of the master plan here for what it is the athlete is trying to accomplish. Then simultaneously, the younger kids 
sort of from a, you know ground up you, you want to help give them a foundation to train but also eventually help sort of help with their with their overall education and getting a feel for what it is to take to get to uh to, to college is that is that sort of that whole concept the differentiation between other places around the country or what else is there yeah and that's that's i think is is obviously gonna that's part of it. you know the the model is 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 huge it's it's complex you know in how we want to do do things but you know one of the main things you said you know when you're talking about building a good foundation for these kids is is huge um you know because you see a lot of these kids that get to high school and and this is multiple sports you know they they haven't played before or they haven't had you know the right training and coaching to be where they need to be at to be able to get that scholarship and there's different levels you've got obviously division one you got division two you got division three you got NAIA, like there's so many different levels that these kids can go and they can play at. But a lot of these kids, they don't know what they don't know. And so to be able to put these resources in front of these kids, you know, from the time they're four or five years old and being in the same system, um, you know, with uh, a lot of the same coaches uh, throughout their whole career is only going to benefit them um, when you're talking about a lot of them taking that next step and making it, you know, to the next level. Um, you know, so being able to make that one-stop shop where everything is under one roof, um, like I said, it's very rare that you have everything under one roof. I mean, you know, being able to have a, an orthopedics office, you know, inside that, you know, facility is, is huge. It cuts down on, you know, the time it takes to, you know, when you get hurt, you know, and then going to see a doctor, then, you know, having a doctor write a script, you know, for you to, uh, uh, go get an MRI, you know, which may take you two weeks to get in, you know, there. It also may take you two weeks to see doc. And then eventually you got to schedule another appointment to go back and see the doc. And, you know, that may take another week. And then, uh, then you're looking at when you go see doc now he's, you know, checks you out again. And now he's writing a, a script for you to go to physical therapy. It might take you a month just to get into physical therapy for a simple ankle sprain. So it's, if, if we could turn around and we could cut down time and help um, save mothers time with, with their kids um, and make her time, you know, with their kids more convenient where she doesn't have to drive or drop your daughter off here, drop your son off here, then pick them up, then go get dinner and all of this stuff. Like if we can turn around and we can make mother's jobs easier at the same time while helping these kids build a foundation and, giving them all the tools and resources and guidance that they're going to need, you know, to be able to make it like people pay for convenience. And we understand that. And now we're taking all of those things that we say, okay, as professional athletes, like what are the things that we wish we had at this, at this age? What are the things that if we could go back in time could take us from this caliber athlete to here, if we knew this at an earlier age, or if we just had, you know, sometimes, uh, I might go through an injury, maybe dealing with an injury, you know, for quite some time, you know, when they're younger. Um, and it's like being able to have the the physical therapist that, you know, has been around, you know, top high level guys um, that have helped them, you know, rehab some of these injuries in, you know, a select amount of time. Um, like I said, it's just, it's just, it's going to help these kids, you know, because it's not that these kids don't have the talent. It really just comes down to, you know, having, like I said, the resources, the, the coaching, the guidance, um, and then the exposure, 
that's one of the main things that, you know, having that as well, like we want to, you know, build these teams to where, you know, we're taking these kids around the country and we're exposing them, you know, and allowing them to play, you know, the best of the best, which is only going to help these kids, you know, get noticed. It's only going to help these kids, you know, have a chance to be able to make it to the next level and to, to challenge themselves. And, and just to be clear, like, cause I didn't say this at the top, this isn't just about football for anybody who's thinking about this. Here's the deal. The whole facility square foot, 127,000 square feet, seven full indoor basketball courts, 13 full indoor volleyball courts. There's a uh, baseball and softball fields. And it sounds like you were saying to me up before that, that'll be sort of the first part of the um, project that really kind of kicks off from like the sort of the, the teaching and the academy perspective, but batting cages, weight rooms, and all the other things you talked about. I mean, this is, you even have a cheerleader, Jim, you mentioned to me the recovery center that for you personally as a professional athlete, if you want hot or cold tubs, you got to wait basically till you get back to Ashburn as opposed to when you're in Florida, this will have all that. So this is a legitimately massive undertaking. Now you're going to kick, it's going to, the groundbreaking is going to be, uh, you're, you're going to make this announcement on Friday. And how long do you anticipate this project to take to, to get it ready to, you know, open the doors? Uh, it'll be up next summer. Uh, right now we've got a, it'll be August 1st, 2024. Uh, it will be open. Um, we are looking to push that a little bit and see if we can, you know, maybe do a couple things, which yesterday we had a meeting to see, you know, Hey, is there a way that we can, you know, possibly open this up in the, sometime in the summer. And, you know, I've got a really good team down here, uh, that's helping, you know, basically, you know, put this whole project together. These are, you know, the mad scientists behind everything that are <laughs> right. whole thing, you know, gel and work. Um, and, you know, we, we've got some ways that, you know, they might be open a little bit earlier. Um, well, I mean, all right, well, 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 best of luck with that. Obviously these projects can take a long time. We were talking before about uh, for you personally, because of the way COVID came in, it interrupted some of your own plans from, from a building perspective. So hopefully this thing will go smoother than that and i didn't even mention you know, lacrosse wrestling cheerleading even esports gaming I'm, 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 I'm i still don't understand the whole esports thing i'm i don't but that's a whole other thing as uh, as jonathan allen is probably your best bet uh i'll or though that's a project for uh for 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 next year um well this is exciting i wish you the the best of luck in that and you also said that's going to be some well-known athletes who will be participating in, in this project with you as well. Um, and, and so we'll talk more about that um, hopefully w during the year and, and uh, we'll see where things are at. Um, let me transition over to, 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 to that. In fact, um, you obviously came in during the season to help these guys out. The season kind of obviously didn't end the way that anybody wanted. How have you had, now you've had a few weeks to, to reflect how do you kind of reflect on this season, both from that team perspective and for you personally, um, you know, getting back with, with uh, the commanders? Um, obviously the season didn't end, you know, how we would have liked, um, you know, uh, when it came down to the end, you never want to, you never want to go out like how we did. Um, but it, it's, it's the nature of the game. You know, you, you get guys that get hurt, um, you get guys that get banged up. And, you know, he's kind of got to have that next, you know, man up, you know, mentality. And and that's kind of how we looked at it, where it's like, look, you know, 
you know, we learn, you know, we we're, we're, we're still a fairly young team, still a fairly young team. You know, we've got some guys that are, you know, growing up, like I said, I remember four years ago when I got there, um, you know, we, we, we had some veterans, but you know, all, most of these guys were rookies, you know, some of these guys were second year. So now we're starting to see these guys, you know, in their third, fourth and fifth year, you know, which is only going to help us, you know, going forward. Um, but you, you really started to see us take, you know, those steps. Um, but, you know, we, we've, we've got to take those steps faster, you know, because um, as you can see, you know, our division has, has, has gotten better. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, we, we went to the playoffs. We, we understood, you know, what it took to get there and we worked to get there. Um, now, uh, you know, we got some new faces in the locker room. And so basically it's about um, getting back there. Um, and, and, you know, you saw it as, as we went back to, you know, running the football and playing good defense. When we did that, that was how we got to the playoffs, to, you know, uh, you know, coach's first year. Right. And that is what really truly helped us going forward. And, you know, I think that's what type of football team, you know, we are, um, you know, we've got to run the ball. We got to run the ball efficiently and, you know, we take our shots, you know, we're going to take our shots. We've got playmakers on the outside, you know, that can, you know, do a lot of different things. Um, and then, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you got so many guys that, um, you know, really getting comfortable, um, you know, doing, you know, what coach is asking. Um, you know, we've had a team, a defensive line. You mean, you start there, uh, you know, they really started making plays this year the way, you know, coach wanted them to, to be able to do this years ago. You know, and they have the ability to do that. But you got to understand, like, you know, like John Tugap, you know, when he was in high school, Tugap this whole you know, tenure at Alabama, gets in the lead, two gapping again. Now you're telling him to get up the field. So it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for him, you know, because that's what he knows. That's what has made him the player he was is, you know, keeping, you know, guys like me free and allowing me to run over the top and, you know, make a bunch of plays. Um, now it's like, look, like we can both make plays, you know, like they got to pick one. You know, if you can get up field and, you know, cut plays off in the backfield and, you know, um, you know, penetrate you know this offensive line and cause havoc it it doesn't allow offensive coordinators to just do what they want at will you know they've got to always be thinking okay what is john going to do then all of a sudden you start looking at the other side you know with pain you know pain is is probably the you know one of the most athletic ones up there and he's really just coming you know into himself now he's really starting to take the jump as of like okay i know how to do this as well i can make plays you know by you know, doing this to blockers and, you know, being disruptive. Uh, and like I said, when, when it, everything starts up front, when you start looking at how that defensive line's playing, when you, it really sets the, the tempo for everybody at the linebacker level, where it's like our jobs really, you know, aren't too hard. You know, we're just running over the top, you know, jumping yeah. on the pile. Like it's, we're not really doing a whole lot. And then you look at, you know, in the secondary, you know, uh, you know, we move, move, you know, Kendall Fuller back outside, you know, which I think was huge. Um, you know, because he's one of the best at he, he's he's very, very, very smart, uh, but he's one of the best in the league. When you're talking about seeing that quarterback, um, it's just it's something that a lot of those Virginia Tech corners, they have. They're able to see that quarterback and, you know, play a lot of that zone coverage and, you know, make plays and use, you know, you know, what's up here uh, to, to be able to help this team. And, and you saw a lot of those plays that he's made since he's been here, um, which has been huge for us as a defense. Um, 
and the fact of, you know, how, how smart he is and being a leader on that back end, um, it's, it's like I said, you know, it's been, it's been a, definitely a lot of new faces and things like that, but being able to have those, you know, staples where you've got a guy like him, you've got like a guy like myself, you know, you got some other young linebackers that are you're growing up and then you've got guys on the D line like John and, um, you know, now, you know, sweat, you know, is, is, is coming into, you know, his own and, you know, obviously chase and, you know, pain, like you've got a lot of leaders that, you know, are, you know, on this defense. And then you start talking about the offense, you know, yes, they've got some new faces over there. Um, but a lot of those guys are really starting to grow up, you know, Terry's always been a guy that, you know, just never says anything. You know, if he speaks, like, you better listen. <laughs> right. You know, he he doesn't say much. But when he when he says something, you you, you better listen. And, and it's it's really exciting to see a lot of these guys grow up. Because, like I said, I remember when I first walked into that locker room and a lot of these guys were, you know, young pups and, you know, didn't really say much or, or whatever. Now you're starting to see a lot of these guys, you know, starting to step up and, you know, become, you know, more of natural leaders. Um, than they have in the past. Well, just to get, you mentioned Deron Payne uh, and John Allen is a great combination. As we know, Deron Payne is uh, dealing with a contract discussion. They put the franchise tag on him. We'll see. I know those things are above your pay grade, but selfishly from a linebacker perspective, like how important like, are you? Are you knocking on the coach's door? Say, Hey, you guys better keep these people because they make my life a lot easier. Like how, how, I mean, how much do they really having that kind of combination inside helps your, your cause? Um, it's, it's huge. It's huge. It helps that whole the whole defense. Like to be honest, like um, you can have as as good as corner you want, you know, in the NFL, but you don't have a pass rush. You know, they look very average. You know, really quick. Um, so everybody has to to be able to kind of play off each other. But it starts with that front four. If that front four is not rolling, everybody on the back end is you know not really worth anything. And you know, me playing, you know, in four, three defenses, playing in three, four defenses, regardless of, you know, how people make a big difference, you know, uh, about it and, and whatever is really all the same thing. But, you know, it's, it just kind of depends on, you know, how you guys are, you know, playing up front, you know, whether you're two gapping more, whether you're attacking more, um, there's no right and wrong way. It's just, you know, what works for you. Um, but, you know, being able to keep that front, you know, four and guys that are coming in after them, you know, together as long as we can is probably the most important thing, you know, with this team, you know, because it's just, it's how we're built, you know, we're built, you know, from the line of scrimmage, you know, out um, and, you know, being able to draft all those guys with some of them playing together in college and, um, you know, putting some other pieces, you know, in, you know, together as we, you know, went down the road and, you know, I know I'm talking about the front four, you know, first, but it's like, even those guys that are rolling in, um, you know, after they're just as important, you know, because when you keep a fresh pass rush, you know, it's like you go back, you look at like Detroit, you know, years, years ago. Um, I know sports just got back in, but, you know, you look at what he did in Philly. Um, you know, he had, you know, six to eight guys rolling up front. You know, a lot of times he had eight, you know, rolling up front. And it's like, you know, if you go send a couple guys out there, they get a couple pass rushes and then you send the next four out there. I mean, you know, it's almost like NASCAR, like the way you want them going. And it's like, when you keep them fresh like that, and, you know, they can, you know, cause havoc, you know, on, on offensive lines and they're always fresh. It makes your defense better and better. And I think that's where, you know, we're eventually trying to get to and developing depth and, you know, developing the guys that, you know, are, are behind um, because it's, we've also got 17 games, you know, so yeah. we're going to need every guy along the way. And it's like, 
it, the more guys we're able to develop and the more guys we're able to roll is going to make us that more, that much more fresh when playoff time comes around, you know, even, you know, I know like with the competitors we have up front, they never like to come out the game. You know, it's just how it is, but it's like, look like, you know, I try to tell them like, man, just, you know, go get two, three plays and, you know, come right back because if, if they can do that and then come right back on a, on a third down and they're fresh, and you got this offensive line that have gone, you know, eight, nine, ten plays already, and you're coming in as a fresh pass rusher with Sweat and Chase coming off the edge, and you know, two interior guys, you know, creating pressure inside. Like, it's tough on an offensive line, especially with those type of athletes we got up there. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. So you clearly sound like a guy fired up, ready to go for the next uh, season. Um, I know, you know, Washington's in the process of figuring out who, the, you know, what they want to do, who they want to add, bring back, whatever. And they've they've already re-signed a couple of guys deeper on the roster, including a linebacker. I guess, what's your sense of, like, what's your what's your next season looking like at this point? Do you, is it kind of a wait and see for you? Or what, what's your what's your view about Washington or anywhere else? Um, I mean, I, I usually let my agent, you know, deal with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, like I said, I've been in Washington for four years now. Um, you know, and, you know, I've loved every bit of it, you know, from – you know, from the highs to the lows and everything, because you, you learn, you know, throughout the process and you, you learn so many different things. You come across so many different people. Um, you know, I think in the building, you know, they, they really value me and, you know, my leadership and, you know, leading a lot of these young guys and showing these guys the right way. Um, because when I came in the lead, um, you know, Ron's been in the lead a long time. And, you know, when I came in the lead, you know, it was still, you still had a lot of veterans. You know, the lead is very, very young now. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't really, understand you know and especially when it starts getting in the season where like like you see you have a rookie that's coming in has a good you know three four five games and then they hit that wall you know or you have young guys that hit that wall um you need your veteran guys to help develop these guys to teach these guys the right way show these guys the right way because if you just got a young team and you got young guys leading young guys it's very hard to get where you want to go to you know, however you want to look at it, it is very hard to get to where you want to want to go to because they, they just don't know, you know, and, and, you know, you hate to say that, but you got the blind leading the blind. Um, but it's like when I came in the lead, I had Lance Briggs, I had DJ Williams, I had James Anderson, you know, I had Blake, Blake Costanzo, you know, all sitting in the room that were able to show me the way you were supposed to go. Hey, you know, they grabbed me a hey, young Buckley like this is, you know, what we do, you know, on Tuesdays, we come in, we do this, this is what we do you know, on Mondays, you know, Hey, we're taking care of our body, you know, make sure, you know, you're, you're getting in, doing your rehab, getting your massages, doing all these things. So you can get your body, um, you know, as prepared as you can, you know, for Sunday and sometimes even, you know, Thursday night. Yeah. 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 No, no, no doubt. All right. Well, look, uh, hopefully uh, things can work out and uh, keep you, keep you around. Um, Let me just tie us all up with this. Uh, you're mm-hmm. talking about this brand new building that you guys are gonna are, are gonna build. It's gonna be state of the art. Uh, on the other end of the world, the NFLPA just put out a survey about uh, how they they pulled the players about the teams that they that they're on, and they asked questions about things like facilities and and ch- other training components. Uh, Washington did not grade very, uh, uh, that great. Uh, obviously, from a facility standpoint, I'll just give up the excuse. Obviously, it's an older building. I think we all understand whenever a new stadium is built the plan is to have a new uh you know day-to-day facility building so in theory those will this will be dealt with at some point but right now it's not that way 
Um, I guess what was your reaction and what was sort of, you, you know, when you're talking to other guys reaction to what the survey was. And I guess to that end, how much are you, as you go through your career, are you taking things like, okay, this is what I like or don't like with a team I'm at. I'm going to do it differently kind of with what we're doing over on this project. Um, you know, when, when it, when it comes to the building, obviously, yes, it is an older, it is an older building. Um, you know, it's been there for a while. They've been trying to figure out, you know, stadium situation, you know, for a while. Um, and I think that's just really the kind of figuring out process as of like, you know, okay, where is the stadium going to be at? You know, how much is it going to cost and everything. So I feel like, you know, the facilities got put on the back burner a little bit. Um, you know, obviously you want state of the art. Um, but, you know, it, for me being a businessman, like I understand, you know, certain aspects of it, um, you know, but you know, the main parts that, you know, you see in our, our you know, uh, I guess uh, report card or whatever you want to call it, um, where we, you know, did, you know, do pretty well, you know, it was definitely, you know, with the strength staff and the weight room, you know, and, you know, definitely, you know, with our food, um, you know, I don't know how many, you know, I know I talked to a lot of those guys. I kind of understand how that building is ran just from being there so long and, you know, bugging those guys and asking them different questions just because, you know, what is pertained to my facility. Um, you know, we're, I think we're one of the, the, the few in the NFL that actually, I guess, like owns their own kitchen. You know, a lot of people, they kind of lease out the kitchen to, you know, different companies, as companies come in and, you know, uh, you know, service, you know, all the, the staff and everybody's building. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll, in those two areas, you know, we did a really good job at, um, you know, and, you know, for me, like, you know, I'm not really complex as long as my tubs work um, <laughs> and, you know, I can get in the weight room and do what I got to do. Um, you know, I've invested a lot like in my body throughout my career. You know, most guys that come to my house, they're like, damn, you got a whole training room. I like, get the house. You know, I got lasers. I got, you know, just anything you can get in the training room. Like I literally have like at the house. So, um, and that's just something I, I grabbed, you know, from a lot of the older guys uh, when I first came in the league, um, you know, but it, like I said, it's definitely something that you, you would love to be able to have everything under one roof where, you know, you have the stadium, you know, how you have your facility that's attached your practice fields and, and everything, but to be able to have all those things under one roof and, um, it, it makes everybody's jobs easier, makes it more convenient, you know, allows guys to, to be around each other. They'll, they'll stay at the facility longer, you know, because, you know, they're taking care of their body, they're having fun, you know, whatever it is. And it's only going to help you on the field, like as you go, uh, because guys are so used to being around each other, they start thinking alike, you know, like when you're in college, like the linebacker I played next to, I literally could look at him and he already knew like what I was thinking. Like we didn't have to say anything like in games. And that was why we played so well together because, you know, we were always together. You know, we, you know, took forever at the facility. We were, our mom and dads, you know, both, you know, hated for us after games because, I mean, we thought we were moving fast, but, you know, <laughs> we would always be the last two. And I'm talking about out the stadium, period. You know, after, you know, coaches and everybody, everybody's already walked by, you know, and, you know, then all of a sudden you see us two coming out. Um, but, you know, that's, like I said, that's what's helped us you know, get to where we got to. Um, and it just sort of lastly, I guess, like, is there any, with, with however you view that survey, is there any, like, one thing if Ron came to you and said, hey, give me one thing, one piece of advice that you would to give to to help make it this better for you guys, whatever it is, uh, tubs, training room, food, family stuff, whatever it is, is there any one thing for you that kind of just sort of stands out? Um, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's really... Yeah, make you know, just making it more convenient, like for you know, 
everybody. And when, you know, everybody, like I said, that's, that's kind of a little bit over his head as well. When you're talking about the new stadium, being able to have that new stadium and having everything under one roof. Well, like, well, let me, let me ask you, is that, is that your, your, as a perspective, you said as a business guy, but also an older guy and you're, you're clearly a, a mature human. It, it would appear to me. Does that make it, is that something that just for a lot of younger guys, just that's just not where they are in life to fully appreciate, Hey, I want this. And if they came from schools like Alabama or, you know, Florida, where you're from, like, they're like, wait, what, things are a little bit different. Is that just sort of a maturation thing to a degree? Not that it shouldn't be better, but just that some guys just maybe don't fully appreciate where this franchise is currently in its transition. Um, Yeah. Because like I said, you know, the, a lot of the younger guys, they don't know what they don't know. They're just coming in and, you know, just doing what they're asked to be told, you know, and like they've got a little bit of money in their pocket, you know, versus in college where, you know, we, we were struggling to get $20 in our pocket. And and so to be able to have a little bit more money in your pocket, you're really not paying attention to those things, you know, right now. So that's why, you know, for me, like, you know, coming in and talking to a lot of these guys, like, you know, hey, like you need to start looking at this. You need to start looking at that because, you know, this may be a lot shorter than you think, you know, this is. And, you know, appreciating, um, you know, the different pieces of the game. Like, I think even when you're talking about like the uh, the players that came before us, you know, that that built this place, um, you know, appreciating them and everything that they've done, you know, for the franchise and, you know, for us going forward, um, because it is a different, you know, day and age, like I said, with the league being so young uh, and, you know, what guys are, you know, interested in. Now, a lot of guys don't, uh, they don't watch, they're not like students of the game, like as much as they were like in the past, you know, it's like when I came in, like I understood you know, he, I mean, I get it. He went to Florida, but like I, even before I got to Florida, like I understood who Wilbur Marshall was. I knew what he did, you know, for the Bears. I knew, you know, the the Mike's, Mike Singletary's and all that stuff. Like I understood what they did for the game and how, you know, they changed the game and what they did in Chicago and, you know, what Ron did. Like I understood that, you know, now guys kind of just walk in the building and it's just like, okay, I'm just football players. So to be able to, you know, appreciate all the things that come with it, I think is important. I think, you know, as guys get older, they start to appreciate that a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's about, you know, you got to teach them the right way. Cause like I said, they don't know what they don't know. Well, your plan is to teach the next generation the right way to get ready. Uh, if they're interested in a career in professional sports and also just to further their own uh, athletic training, their own uh, time here on, on the planet, doing the best that they can uh, and make it as convenient for them as possible. Uh, great project. Best of luck, John, with everything that you've got going on. Uh, you know, next uh, 2024, the summer of 2024, we're all going to be at the Wellington Sports Academy uh, to, to see what's going on and to, uh, and, and to you know, help the next generation or watch the next generation uh, take off. Uh, thanks so much for the time and explaining all this to us. Welcome.